0: Welcome to the Productivity Show by Asian Efficiency, helping you do more, and be better. And now here is your host, Zachary Sexton. Today I have with me Jordan Harbinger. Welcome, Jordan.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on.
0: It's an honor to have you on, and I just want to give a short bio, and then maybe you could talk a little bit about yourself and what you do over at the Art of Charm. But Jordan, you live the type of life that other people like to talk about. You've traveled through war zones, you've been kidnapped not once but twice, and the only reason you're around to tell the story is because of your unique ability to talk your way into as well as out of just about every type of situation. Furthermore, Jordan is a self-taught expert at confidence, relationship skills, and other life hacks that help his audience at Art of Charm live their best lives so they can leave everyone and everything better than they left it. And I love that that's your tagline. That's just such a positive way to go about the world. So that's my little intro. Can you give our listeners a little bit more about you by telling us about you personally, who you are and what you do over with your team at Art of Charm?
1: Sure. So what we do at Art of Charm is we teach people confidence and relationship development skills. So I know some somewhere there's a lot of people rolling their eyes and they're like, what does that even mean? Basically, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're working for someone else, uh, if you are a solo practitioner, if you work in a large company, or if you're just married and have some kids, you need to be able to do the following things. You need to be able to set an example for others, lead by example. In other words, you need to be able to create relationships around you that are going to be beneficial for you later on. And, and the only way to do that is to be beneficial to those people as well. And so- That's actually a skill set. And it's funny because so many people who are not that successful think they're pretty good at those things. And people that are very successful are always working to get better on those things. So I spotted that pattern pretty early on in my Wall Street career. I didn't just wake up on my mom's couch and be like, I can teach this. I worked in Wall Street. I went to law school, graduated, worked in corporate environments. So I understand how this works inside a corporate environment. And we've been doing Art of Charm now for eight plus years so I know full well how this works in an entrepreneurial environment as well. And then of course, there's the fair share of guys that come in just for like dating and relationship stuff. But I would say that the bigger play is to apply this stuff across the board in all areas of your life.
0: That's really interesting. I was actually just on a coaching call with one of our Rituals customers. And he was he said that exact thing. He was like, you know what I noticed? And he, he worked in finance as well. He's in Queensland, Australia. But he's like, you know what I noticed? It wasn't the people that got the most things done that get farthest in life. It's the people who have the best soft skills, those social skills. And he was like, I would love it if your podcast had more people on and then a week later, we've got you on. So I'm really excited and and shout out to uh, Andrew if he's walking to work right now. So what are some of those things that you do to create those strong relationships? Is there a little bit of an 80-20 that you teach people or is there tactics or is it mindset changes? How do you first go about it? If somebody's at square one and has really been focusing in only on their you know, individual productivity, like how to get things done a little bit more quickly, how to organize their to-do list, how to prioritize their goals. They've only been focused on that and they haven't been po- focused on the people aspect where would you first lead them?
1: Yeah, I'm. it's actually pretty funny because people do this all the time. They go backwards where they're like, well, you know, I need to network and do all that stuff. But first, what I need to do is get my prototype. I need to get my website up. I need to launch my product. I need to have my whatchamacallit all in order. And it's actually backwards because by the time there's this concept called dig the well before you're thirsty. And in fact, there's probably like multiple books written about this in this same field. Uh, and what it means is by the time you've got your website launched and you've got your product all lined up and ready to go. And then you need, I don't know if you're like an affiliate marketer and then you need affiliates. It's too late. I mean, you're going to find some affiliates, but you're not going to find the greatest ones. You're going to go through and meet a bunch of people that say, Oh, that doesn't fit in with my calendar. Or, oh, I don't really know you. Oh, it's unproven. Uh, you know, oh, I'm really busy. And then you're. I know a lot of people that have done that. And then by launch number three or four, they're finally getting all the top guys in on it. And it's because they didn't dig the well before they were thirsty. And the same thing goes, let's let's take the affiliate stuff out of it. The same thing goes for people looking for jobs. There's a lot of people looking for jobs, but when when do they start asking you about opportunity in your company? When do they start looking at opportunities in their field? When do they start talking with people who are decision makers and and hiring uh, forces inside their industry after they get canned from their last gig or after it's so bad that they want to quit. The best time to find a job is when you already have a job, and an even better time to find a job is when you're not looking for one necessarily in your field because you're happy where you are. And I did a show with a guy named Alex Kutz. He's uh, on the Art of Charm podcast. He's, He's negotiated his salary, I think, like eight times in two years, so he makes a ton of money. And he's in his early 30s, maybe even late 20s here in Silicon Valley. And he's always hitting me up like, hey, uh, by the way, X company that I'm not literally like not supposed to mention is looking for business development guys. The starting salary for somebody at your level would be around four or five hundred grand after commission. Are you cool with that? Do you want to? I'm like, no, thanks. I run Art of Charm. He's like, just asking. Right. But think about this. If anything ever went wrong at AOC or if I decided this isn't for me anymore, I could walk into a job like that. And so that's a pretty good feeling.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people would like to have a $400,000 a year backup plan. So you mentioned, I like your analogy of digging the well before you need it. And you mentioned that word networking, which I know you maybe have a contentious relationship with. And -hmm. from a productivity standpoint, growing a strong network can be one of the best things you can do for your career. However, it seems like most of the advice out there tends to only show you how to create shallow, you know, let's do lunch or here's my card type relationships. How can you go about networking to build more authentic relationships with people that will be coming to not only people, but people who have the ability to help you out in life? Like, uh, like your guy, uh, Alex, who can offer you $400,000 jobs.
1: Yeah. Uh, essentially, you're right. I do have a contentious relationship with the word networking. In fact, I got an email about it from somebody who didn't really understand that. They they're like, "You flip-flop on every show. You say you don't like networking, and then you talk about networking." It's like, "No, I love the concept. I like the the idea of creating relationships. I just don't like what most people consider to be quote-unquote networking, which is they go to the conference, you know, of their chosen field with a stack of business cards and a briefcase, and they walk in the middle, you know, me and you are talking and we're having a good time and this guy walks up in a suit and too much cologne and says, Hey guys, what's going on? Mark, Mark Johnson, you know? And you're like, Hey, awkward interrupter guy, but we're friendly and we're, you know, polite. We're at a conference. So we turn around and talk with him, and he derails everything we're talking about. And he goes, if you guys ever need a financial manager, I'm your guy. Here's my card. Here's my card. All right. Well, great meeting you. See you at dinner. And then he like wander waddles off to the next group to annoy them. And I don't know about you, but, that card literally goes in my back pocket where I keep my garbage, like gum wrappers and stuff, um, and business cards from people like that. And I crumple it up later and I throw it in the garbage. I will never follow up with that person because they're, it, I don't want to give them any more permission than they've already given themselves to just annoy me. There's no value in that at all. And that's what most people think of as networking. And there's people who listen to this, probably who do that, but there's people and, and they don't realize it and they think they don't do that. But then there's also people that go, I don't do that. I do networking right. And that person may be one or two levels above that and still not doing it well. It, classic example is I met a financial manager and I'm, I'm picking on those guys because it's, a, it's one of those, it's like real estate where everybody does it and like 1% people are successful at it. So there's a lot of schmucks in it. Uh, this guy walks up to me at an event and says, hey, Jordan, I want to know how I can help you. And I'm like, yeah, uh, sure, thanks. You know, great gesture, but what does that mean? I don't know what you do. I, You don't know anything about my business. I'm not just going to, like, figure out a way for you to help me. It doesn't make any sense. But I appreciate the sentiment, you know, and obviously I'm not saying this out loud. It's just what's going through my head. So then he gives me a business card, and I'm like, ah, financial management, huh? And he goes, yeah, yeah, well, that comes later. And I'm like, uh, no, it doesn't. And I throw that card away too. And the reason is because he had sort of that idea of like you got to help other people first really you're just trying to get something from them and I don't like that because it's disingenuous and so what we're trying to say is one when you're creating these relationships just think about helping them don't ask them necessarily how you can help them because it's not their job to figure that out it's your job to figure that out if someone says hey Jordan I wrote you an iTunes review I know you like those because it helps the show get ranked and also I noticed uh, a couple of weird graphical errors on your site. I could fix those for you for free, um, although you might also have someone in-house who can do it. Let me know. Here's the page they are, and here's a screenshot. That's actually helpful. Not someone who's like, hey, if you ever need me to redo your site, I'll work cheap. I don't want that kind of help. You know, and and they're also just trying to get a job. And there's a, there's a difference that should be apparent to a lot of people and really isn't. And it doesn't mean you're stupid or something if you don't see it. It just means that you're not used to Networking and relationship development in the way that involves you not necessarily getting anything out of it. And that's really important because if you start to keep score, like, well, you know, I helped Zach by hooking him up with this graphic designer. So Zach owes me one. And then I reach out to you and I'm like, hey, can you do this thing for me? And you're like, actually, that doesn't really work that well for me right now, but I appreciate it. I'm like, well, Zach's a jerk. I helped him and he didn't help me. You know, screw that guy. But if I'm not keeping score, then it doesn't matter. And then later on, you might say, hey, Jordan, I I found this really cool advertiser and they're looking for other shows. Do you want me to pass them along to you? And I'm like, yay, free money, right, for my show too. That's how networking really works. If you start keeping score, it toxifies the relationship. So you need to figure out how you can help people, not ask them how you can help them, but figure it out for yourself. I mean, in some instances, you can ask them, but usually you shouldn't usually you should be able to figure this out yourself. And usually that involves you connecting them with other people. Uh, and I can get into that in a bit, but it definitely involves not keeping score. And we've all had those people who keep score and you can tell who they are because you'll ask them for an introduction or for a favor. And they'll be like, well, I don't know. I can't do that because I might need to like use that connection for something else later. Or I might need to, uh, call that favor in some other time. And that's that's not how it works with successful people.
0: I've gotten that before, and it, it baffles me because I think it's just a complete difference in mindset that those people have than the other people who just give freely, don't keep score, genuinely want to help the people in their lives out versus ones that are trying to basically hoard their whatever social points that they have. And it just seems to be a difference in... And the way you view the world is, is the world abundant and full of opportunity or is the world scarce and you have to hoard everything for yourself? If, yeah, go ahead. Did you want to say anything about that?
1: Yeah, I was going to say it's funny you should use those exact same words because that's exactly what it is. If I I have somebody who's like, hey, Jordan, can you introduce me to that guy who pitched you the television show? And I'm like, oh, no, I can't do that because if I do that and he doesn't like you – Or if I do that and, you know, then I can't, I can't use that guy's connection later on for something. That's not how it works. Um, I know that the more I make that guy beneficial introductions, the better off I'm gonna be later on and the better off he's gonna be. Well, the better off I'm gonna be because he's gonna be better off, I should say. Right. Not, oh, well, I should ignore him for five years. And I get this a lot where people are like, hey, Jordan, we spoke four years ago. I didn't want to email you because I know you're busy. But now I have this insert random favor thing here. And I'm like, uh, no, dude, I haven't spoken with you in four years. For all I know, you could be in you could have spent the last three and a half years in prison, you know, and. I, I don't need that. But you're right. If if I look at it like, well, man, there's tons of opportunity for everyone, and I'm just helping facilitate that, that's a much healthier outlook. And it's not woo-woo like the universe wants you to connect others. It's abundant. It's not that. It's literally just you're just helping more people do more things, and you're not involved in that necessarily to receive the benefits, and that's okay. Not everything has to be about what you get out of it.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that sentiment. To go back a second about your your Mark Johnson example, like, "Hey, I'm still insurance," or t- sorry to pick on those guys again. I, we we both are doing it yeah. now, but um, it, but, it,
1: but it's true, it's true, right? And it's not necessarily just those industries. It's just those are really easy industries to get a sales job in that everybody's annoyed by. So,
0: but the question I was having, and it was actually my first question, but I, I just dived in a little bit in a different area because where you went, the cliche the cliche out there is that first impression. The cliche the cliche, that's, that's how I pronounce it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The cliche out there uh, is that first impressions are everything. It seems like you find this to be true. And if it is, how do you optimize your first impression? So you're not one of those Mark Johnsons out there.
1: Sure. Yeah. Don't be a Mark Johnson. Um, (laughs) Basically, I mean, it comes down to, uh, there's a lot of mistaken sort of concepts when it comes to first impressions first of all people think it's the first thing that comes out of your mouth and and there they could be right potentially but think about even to our last example with mark johnson right what did he do first he stood awkward in my example he stands awkwardly on the outside of our conversation we smell him first right with the cologne or whatever and he's standing there and we're like uh Who is this guy? What's this guy want? This guy's gonna do something weird. That's what's really going through your brain consciously or subconsciously before that guy opens his mouth. It's all nonverbal. And since we actually know through science and and those examples that your first impression is nonverbal, that means that you can't communicate with everyone verbally, of course, in a room. So your first impression has to be nonverbal, right? So if I'm walking into an event and 50 people look at me because those happen to be the few people facing the door. Or everyone's facing the door. That's my first impression. I don't say hello everyone. The second I walk in or make a grand announcement or something like that, that doesn't happen. I walk in and people look at me and they judge my hair and my physical appearance and my body language, the way I walk all that stuff and anything, you know, my smile on my face am my engaging with other people. There's a million little like micro judgments that happen non-verbally. And there's a lot of people thinking, I'm not that judgy, but here's the thing. You totally are. You just don't realize it. It happens very subconsciously. Uh, women are actually better at this than men are by a lot, actually. Women will be like, oh, that guy's creepy. And guys are like, huh, what? Because we don't even see the guy yet. Um, women are have a, they're evolved better to deal with this type of thing because of evolutionary psychology reasons, you know, threat perception and things like that. So uh, we look at these people and we have this nonverbal first impression But the thing is, guys especially, and and people in general, are always very concerned with what do I say? And the answer that everyone hates is, well, it doesn't really matter. Uh, The reason it doesn't really matter, and, and it sort of does, of course, but the reason it mostly doesn't matter is because your first impression is nonverbal. So people spend a lot of time figuring out what do I say, what kind of things do I need to do, how do I follow up, what should my business card look like, when do I start to, you know, when do I connect them with my business card, when do I email them, all that stuff is the 10% that matter, that matters almost completely, not at all, and the other 90% is that first impression, nonverbal communication that you are giving off while you're there. So a drill that I give people to improve that is, Right now, if you're not driving or something like that, if you're in a position to do so, stand up, uh, chest up, shoulders back, chin up, smile on your face. And you can exaggerate it at first, but you don't want to keep doing that because you'll look like an idiot. Uh, but try to remember what that feels like in terms of the way your body is is holding itself, the way you feel, et cetera, because that's what you want to do every time you walk through a doorway. And I don't mean like at an event or if you try to turn it on at an event, you will constantly have to micromanage it and you'll look really stiff. I mean, even in your own house, like when you go to walk into your bathroom, when you walk into your bedroom, when you walk out your door, when you walk in your friend's door, when you walk into Starbucks, if you if you drink your coffee there, you know, you want to fix up that body language and do that. Because if you do that, it starts to become second nature. It starts to become a habit. And then you don't have to think about it anymore. And that's a really good, that's really good open body language. It's positive because you got that smile on your face. You look open, inviting, and confident. Once you internalize that, then when you walk into an event, you don't have to think about that. That becomes your first impression non-verbally. And that's great, because now you've already done like 80% of the work non-verbally to get where you need to go, and you're not even having to think about it anymore. It'll take you a couple weeks to form this as a habit, but it's extremely important. Uh, And the reason that this becomes more important is because once you start to look confident, friendly, and open, people start to treat you differently based on that, and that's the key. A lot of people are like, oh, stand up straight. Thanks a lot, Jordan, that's crap advice. It's not that. It's the internalization of the habit. And once you start to internalize this as a habit and people start to treat you differently, aka that you're a friendly, confident, open person, this changes a lot of the way that people will continue to not only uh, treat but also perceive you moving forward. And, and what I mean by that is think about the way that you treat somebody that commands respect versus somebody that looks meek and quiet. And I don't mean you mistreat people that look meek and quiet, but you do overlook them. We do it all the time, and we do it without noticing because we're overlooking them. (laughs) So by definition, we don't necessarily notice that we're doing that. Uh, And if you're a meek, shy person, you probably feel like this has been happening to you your whole life, um, no matter how efficient you might be at work, right? And that's a problem. That's a real problem in the corporate world because you end up with these guys and girls that do really, really great work. And they go, I'm, you know, I'm always getting the shaft. And the reason is in part because they don't look the part. And this is all happening subconsciously. It doesn't mean your boss is a jerk and the corporation's against you. It means you're not being noticed most likely because of those reasons. And so you can fix that habit or fix that by forming that habit. And once you do that, then we start to work on other things like eye contact and vocal tonality and speech patterns and and we do this obviously at the art of charm boot camp we do a lot of the advanced stuff that goes with this as well well intermediate and advanced stuff that goes with this as well did i lose you did that make sense to you
0: not at all i just didn't want to interrupt that flow of of gold you're you're giving out there what i really (laughs) like about your your body language uh a tip is that it, it has a specific marker going through a door that will remind you to do it every time. So this is a, uh, a habit, or at Asian Efficiency, we're really big on rituals, basically the same thing that can, you can implement into your life to start giving that confidence. And You said one thing about how the words don't matter that much and that it's only maybe even 10% of the communication. I've heard that before too. Is there any science backing that up, or is this kind of a rule of thumb that a lot of people go by?
1: This is a rule of thumb. And the thing is, I know that people are like, no, no, there's the Morabian study. That's not how the Morabian study was conducted. Spare me your emails with the little graph that says like 60% of communication is nonverbal and 38% is tonality. That is totally different. It's misused and abused in pretty much every book on this subject. I think that's Uh, what I've
0: read before is that that little breakdown of the pyramid and and yeah, those were about the numbers, so it's yeah. just it's just a rule of thumb it 's not necessarily a, a complete picture of everything, but body language right. for humans interacting is important yeah let, let's
1: let, let's put it this way even if it 's only fifty percent, it still comes first because they can't hear you before they can see you in ninety nine point nine percent of cases right so if that's the case, even if it's only ten percent. They they still see you before they hear you. And so the judgment still happens there. So it really doesn't matter what the percentages are. It matters that they are presented in that order. But we know that the percentages are higher. We just don't know which study to believe in which context.
0: Would you even say other things like eye contact and vocal tonality are more important than the words that you use?
1: Yeah, I would say that because – I've and I've experimented with this and again I'm I'm not a scientist my business partner thankfully is but we experimented with the most ridiculous stuff 8 7 years ago when we were doing this stuff so we started doing things like once we had body language and confident eye contact and vocal tonality was starting to really fall into place for us we were like well wait a minute let's put this morabian study or mahobian study to the test so we would walk up to groups of people and be like hey guys I really like salad and they would be like, well, that's awesome, man. I love salad too. And they would be goofing around with us because nobody says that, you know, with confident tonality and in and, and a non-psycho way and, you know, isn't just goofing around, right? Uh, and we found that that was fine. You could start conversations with groups of, of older people and younger people and confident people and pretty girls and, and, you know, football player guys, you know, with that same thing. And it would work just fine as long as the nonverbal communication, eye contact and vocal tonality was in place. And we even tried torpedoing our nonverbal impression. I wore a kangaroo suit for a really long time doing various experiments in fancy bars and restaurants where I knew the owner and he would let me get away with it. And so I would walk in with a kangaroo suit and I would walk up and start conversations with people and they would be like, wow, you're rocking that kangaroo suit, huh? You're just owning that thing. And the, the key was that. It's that everything else was in place although i was wearing a kangaroo suit and if you can go if you can go and own that you know you have the right nonverbal communication in place and so it was really hard to torpedo a really good confident body language vocal tonality and eye contact it's it's hard to screw things up after that and i'm not just talking about quote unquote being good looking cuz right now there's people going no i know a lot of good looking guys and they're you know they're weirdos that's not the same thing confidence and appearance are not the same thing
0: I want to talk about the relationship between your body language and, and your own self-confidence and how those interact. But before we do, I wanted to quickly talk to you about vocal tonality. Are there any similar uh, practices or exercises that you gave for body language that people could use for finding correct vocal tonality? This is something that's particular of interest to me because doing a podcast now I have to listen to myself uh, and I want to make sure I'm giving a good impression to other people. So sure. Anything yeah. with vocal tonality there?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot vocal tonality is kind of one of those weird animals where it really requires a lot of coaching, not maybe not a lot. It requires coaching to pinpoint what, what's going to be for most people. Um, I would say, and I'm not saying that you do this, but I'm saying one of the easiest things for most people to do is they use words like, like a lot, you know, like, it's like, you know, like, uh, um, like they say that and it's a habit. It's a, it's a tick. Uh, another thing that people do, even if they think they don't do that, is they use the word, um, and they don't use it in a way that accentuates any sort of conversation or, or sentence or adds any sort of colloquial feel to what they're saying. They just use it as a filler. Um, so, and like are, are pretty big culprits for this. So, and there it is. So what I've done. (laughs) Once
0: you start talking about it, you get real self-conscious about it.
1: So like what I've done like is a, so (laughs) what I've done and what I did for years was edit out all of the verbal tics in my show. And that was massively painful. But what it did was it knocked everything down by about 90%. And I don't think you have to knock everything down by 100% because then I think you sound a little bit strange. Uh, It's a little bit unrelatable if you never use it. Uh, And people will kind of think, oh, well, you know, this guy's a little bit stiff, a little bit stilted, especially if you're broadcasting. If you don't use it, you kind of need to use it because that's how normal people speak. And if you can't relate to normal people, they don't want to hear you. It's, a again, subconscious sort of mirroring, blah, 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 whatever. But if you're giving a talk or something like that, you want to eliminate that. And if, it's, if you're one of those people that does this to the point where others are noticing it instead of what you're saying, you definitely need to do this. So what I would say you can do, you don't need to be a broadcaster to do this, record your half of a phone conversation. There are apps for iPhone called, like Tape a Call is one of them. Um, Tape a Call is what it's called. It'll record that. You can do stuff on Skype where you get like call recorder Or you can even just get a digital recorder or lay it next to your phone and just record your half of the conversation. You have to be a little bit careful because it's actually like eavesdropping laws in places like California require you to disclose it to the other party. And it's really weird to be like, by the way, I'm recording this for the purposes of making my vocal tonality better because people are going to be like, what are you talking about? (laughs) You know. So you got to be a little bit careful there. But if you just record your side, you should be okay. And then go through in an audio editor like GarageBand or Audacity or something free and just clip out all the ums and uhs, and replay both of them, and you'll see one sounds dramatically better than the other, and once you get that down, once you do that a few times, maybe like once a week with one phone call that lasts 10 or 20 minutes, you'll start to go, oh, it's such a pain in the butt to edit all this out, and you will start to force yourself to not use those filler words, and once you start to not use them, you get in the habit of that, and that's how if you listen to earlier episodes of the Art of Charm podcast, I'm all over the place. If you listen to current episodes of the Art of Charm podcast, it's, in my humble opinion, it's it's much better. And part of the reason for that is because I, I spent so much time editing my own show. I no longer do that. But I think it's a big mistake in the name of efficiencies, speaking of, to not ever edit your own audio because you never catch your own ticks. And your editor will probably never remove them. And even if he does, you're still doing them in real life. You just don't notice.
0: All right. Well, I guess I need to learn a new skill now because I do not edit my own podcast, but that's something that uh, our team is talking about changing the roles on. So I, I, with your bit of advice there, I think it makes a lot of sense to find and catch all of the things that I'm doing that I might not want to present to the listeners uh, that that have to suffer through any sort of annoying tonality that thing that I do. So, thank yeah, you for that I mean, advice. That's it's really helpful. And when you were saying earlier on in the podcast that you were all over the place and now you're not, did you what did you mean by that?
1: Oh, I mean in earlier episodes my speech patterns are far less confident. I use a lot of filler words. You can tell there's nerves around certain things that I'm doing or saying. Some parts where I'm like clearly kind of trying to be funny and like other parts where I'm acting a little bit other parts where I'm natural seem to come across better. But now I'm almost, I'm 99.9% just completely natural when I'm talking to the microphone. I'm And I the only reason I don't say 100 is because I'm sure there are times where I'm like having an off day or you know not wanting to to do something to screw it up because it's a big opportunity or something like that. But most of the time I'm literally just talking like I would be talking to somebody standing right in front of me.
0: That's great advice. Thanks for the... Personal coaching, I guess our know our time is a little bit limited here, so maybe just end with one or two more questions. One of them has to do with how to pick the right personal coach. I read an article on your blog that you had about that, and I was wondering if you could give our audience any insights to that, because I saw this cartoon a while back, which really made me believe in the, the benefits and the power of having a coach. And it was this guy and he was inside of a pickle jar and at the bottom it just said, it's hard to read the label from the inside. So oh, having, having somebody from the outside notice those things that, uh, that don't maybe exude confidence or maybe you're trying to start a business and you've got some major blind spots. Having an outside perspective is unbiased one is always really helpful. But how do you pick those personal coaches? How do you select you know, the wheat from the chaff? of uh, coaching out there because it is sort of a growing industry and there are probably a lot of inexperienced people giving maybe recycled advice that they read in a book or heard somewhere.
1: Yeah, it's that's true. In fact, I've even been victimized and I use that word because it's exactly what it is by some like marketers and stuff where my tech guy was a member of this website called like digital Marketer, whatever, something like that. And he was on a conference call, and he's like, where have I heard this information before? With this marketing consultant that was charging us like $8,000 a month. And then the next month, he was on another conference call, and he was like, guys, I-, I hate to break it to you, but I'm 99% sure this consultant is just parroting crap. He's watching in videos on this membership website. And we were like, no, he's got a resume, and he came recommended from this other guy, and so we called the other guy, and he's like, "Yeah, no, he worked for me for a while. It was a short while, but you know, he gave good advice." And we're like, "Oh, that's really strange." So we looked at the membership website. We bought a membership to that website. Sure enough, every conference call was just the next unit on that site that he was, and he was basically just a fraudster. And I was like, "Wow, that's really disappointing." So you do have to be very careful about uh, selecting a coach, and it's it's actually really frustrating to see. Because there's not a whole lot you can look for. I mean, we wrote a whole article about this, and so I I always suggest asking really hard questions. And luckily, the bar is both, well, luckily and unluckily, the bar is really low for coaches. So, like, how long have they been in the industry? Not how long have they been fancying that they're a coach. I mean, how long have they had their company set up for coaching, their website, their phone number? And you can look at this, like, look at the domain that they bought, look at the web and there's other tech little hacks that you can do, like look at how long they've been established because a lot of people go, I've been coaching men for 20 years and I'm like, wait a minute, weren't you like 14, 20 years ago? And they're like, yeah, but I mean, I've been giving advice to my friends, that's coaching and I'm like, no, that's not coaching, that's you giving advice to your friends. You're not a professional coach and you catch people in like the life coaching space doing this crap all the time. But unfortunately now it's not just life coaches, it's internet marketers and web guys and all that stuff. So asking tough questions like that, doing a little bit of diligence and background investigation, uh, looking at do they have an office? Where do they coach? Have they been invited to speak somewhere that you've heard of? Because everybody can speak at those random local conferences or a Toastmasters event. Have they been invited to speak somewhere somewhere? that they got paid to go to, not just something where every schmucky life coach goes to for quote-unquote exposure. And yes, you have to start somewhere. So I know that I'm going to get some haters who are like, everybody starts somewhere. You know, you can't just write us all off. Why should I gamble on you being the one good coach that comes out of a batch of 100 BS life coaches or whatever you're looking for That ends up giving me good advice. I'd rather just go for somebody who's proven and established. And the way to do that is to do the diligence and and ask those hard questions like that. And uh, any good coach will have good answers to those questions. So, like, for example, if you look at The Art of Charm, and yes, I'm using our, our company as an example, we've been around for eight years. No, I haven't been thinking about being a coach for eight years. The show itself has been around since 2006, 2007. Right, the actual podcast. There's evidence of that. It's in iTunes. I can't mess with it. You know, the domain's been around for that long as well, uh, and even longer, and there's just a track record of that. We have our own office. I don't coach out of my friggin' living room on my mom's couch or in a basement of a friend's house. You know, we, we have our own place. There's a lot of coaches that just don't have that. They don't have an office. They don't have that stuff, and people think, oh, so what? They work from home. They don't have an office. Actually you'd be surprised. I mean, a successful business at a certain level will realize, I need an office, regardless of whether you work from home. You can have a home office or not, but there's certain things that just have to come into play. And, and there's a give and take. You know, there's a lot of people that work from home that are brilliant, but most real, legit businesses have offices. That's just kind of the way it is. They have websites that have been up for more than a year. They have good marketing in place because they can afford consultants because they realize the ROI there. And, and you guys kind of get this. Like, you guys have good stuff that you guys are putting out, even though you guys are relatively new, because you know that the appearance of looking professional is is paramount, right? And if you don't do that, you know that people won't take you seriously. But somehow when people are looking for consultants and coaches, they feel like, oh, well, you know, I should throw all that good, I, that good stuff can go out the window um, because I should go with my gut. And that's really the worst thing you can do because then you're just going to go with the person who knows how to manipulate you the best. and And that's really a bad coach to have.
0: All right. So one of the things that stuck out on that article, one of them might be following your gut a little bit was somewhat of the advice, but I think that came with the due diligence that came with you. And the other thing that struck me was, is this program or the coach designed to make you feel good or is it designed to make you do good or be better. And that's kind of the thing is there's – it seems like there can be a lot of coaches out there that might just pump you up or give you an ego boost or say you're doing great when yeah. in reality you're not. It's just you, – you might have to gamble every once in a while because I don't know. that It doesn't seem like there's a coaches RS us or a coaches depot out there where you can just pick them up. A lot of times you run into somebody or know, get, get it through a connection in your network and you don't know – the only way you'll know is maybe by experimenting, seeing if it was the right fit for you, seeing if you're seeing any results, and if you were, awesome, stick with it. If not, you know, find find another path. But it does seem like some of the precaution out there that you can have is hey, have they been established? Um, is, is, do they have track record? What are some testimonials that they have? And this is actually another, I'm just being real selfish on this interview. Another thing that I'm interested in, I, I'm looking to get, uh, uh, coaches in the, the business type area. And I'm, I'm wondering how the best way to view and vet people that, that can help, uh, Asian efficiency and myself take sure. it to the next yeah. level.
1: I mean, I'll, I'll wrap with this. There's a lot of coaches, like you said, that are, and, and that it's in our article, That are designed to make you feel good, and one of the prime examples is there's a lot of like female dating coaches, and I'm not saying like females aren't good dating coaches or whatever, but I'm saying that a lot of guys pick them because they're like, oh yeah, you know, women know better. Like that's their marketing angle, that's their unique value proposition is that they are a girl, and it's like, well, wait a minute. The real reason is because at some level, the guys who are hiring them, not all of them, of course, have this desire to be able to date someone like them. But the the fallacy here is most people have no idea how to articulate the type of person that they would date. They can only articulate the type of person that they think they would like to date, but they don't necessarily know what they actually respond to. So you get a lot of guys who will sign up for this thinking like, well, as long as I have her approval, I must be doing something right. And then the coach will use that, that approval seeking behavior to just continue selling packages to the client and business coaches do the same thing too. Uh, the, the marketer guys that we fired right after we found that out, tried that too. They're like, look, look, your sales went up this month. And we're like, listen, dude, we're not dumb enough to think it's a result of what you told us. You know, this stuff takes time. This stuff is a result of other programs that you had nothing to do with. Like, this has nothing to do with you. So they try to look for positive correlations and then attribute them to that. And you'll find that. Because unfortunately, a lot of coaches are not in the business of coaching you out of their client roster. They're in the business of keeping you in there as long as humanly possible. That's one reason why at Art of Charm, While we have follow-up coaching and we have an alumni network, we don't have, like, another level of program, blah, blah, blah. Like, we used to have that, but it's like, listen, actually, we want guys to no longer need everything that we offer once they graduate from our program. They can continue to keep up with the show. They can continue to keep up with us and get little bits of coaching here and there through the alumni network and things like that, but we don't want them to have to think, well, I graduated from this and in order to, and then I really need to get to the next level because that's what like Scientology is and stuff like that, right? There's always this next level thing that you got to pay for it. That's not what a good coach wants. A good coach wants to go, all right, you're good. Uh, you can always feel free to keep in touch with me, but we no longer need to be doing intensive stuff because you're good. That's what a good coach does.
0: That's awesome. That's a great place to end. I actually just watched that too clear or there's a documentary on HBO. going
1: clear, man. I did dude, how freaked out were you after that? I'm like,
0: <laughs> I could not believe it. I knew that was weird, but holy cow. Um, yeah. Right? <laughs> um, so Jordan, thank you so much. This has been one of the most insightful interviews I've, I've had in a long time. Um, what's the best way people can find you online and, and we can say goodbye.
1: Sure. So the Art of Charm podcast is a great place. Since you're already listening to a podcast, just go into whatever you're listening to now and search for the Art of Charm and you'll find us there. And then of course, people can also reach me at Jordan at theartofcharm.com and I answer everything, pretty much everything.
0: He does. I've emailed him. He answered me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jordan, thank you so much for your time and uh, hopefully connect with you soon.
1: You got it, man. Thank you.
0: This episode is an important one for The Productivity Show. I think Jordan was right when he said that you can be an unnoticed high performer. It's not very much fun to do more and be better if nobody notices. The best part? Confidence is exponential. When you act confident, it is reflected back on you by the people around you, which in turn boosts your confidence even higher. So if you feel like you aren't making the connection you'd like in social situations, use Jordan's walk-through-the-door technique so you can make a good first impression without being a Mark Johnson. Oh, and if there are any Mark Johnsons out there listening, feel free to write us an iTunes review expressing your rightful discontent. We'll try to make it up to you with a free Asian-efficiency t-shirt or hoodie. Uh, We're actually having some new ones being made by our latest A.E. team member, Aki, so welcome bo- on board Aki. we're we're so glad to have you i had to reach back in the archives for this review from mark hutch he gave us five stars back in march of 2015 and says the guys are breaking new ground in productivity and like life hacking information delivery this podcast is a nice addition to broadening their mode to spread their bark delivery great interviews and ideas actually had to look up VARC. It stands for Visual, Oral, Reading, and Kinesthetic. So if you, uh, you like receiving information orally, then the A of VARC is for you and the Productivity Show is for you. If you like more visual and written, you might want to go check out our blog at asianefficiency.com. And don't forget to sign up for our free training hosted by yours truly at theproductivityshow.com forward slash workshop or by texting TPS to 38470. In addition to giving off friendly, confident, open body language and positive vocal tonality, this week, make sure to do, review, organize, prioritize, eliminate the unimportant, delegate and automate what you can, focus on your most important task. take care of yourself, find momentum, move towards your ideal, Achieve anything, not everything, enjoy this life, do more, and be better. Thank you for tuning in. I look forward to joining you next week.